If you have your Bibles, you can open them to um, James uh, chapter 1, if you're not already there. I want to read to you uh, from the... um, J.B. Phillips paraphrase uh, for this passage. And so just listen to me. You can follow along in your Bibles, but I'm going to read from a paraphrase. And so you might want to just pay attention to that instead. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, sending his greetings to the 12 dispersed tribes. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders. Rather, welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go until that endurance is fully developed and you will find you have become men of mature character with the right sort of independence. And if in the process any of you does not know how to meet any particular problem, he only has to ask God who gives generously to all men without making them feel foolish or guilty. And he may be quite sure that the necessary wisdom will be given to him. But he must ask in sincere faith without secret doubts as to whether he really wants God's help or not. The man who trusts God, but with inward reservations, is like the wave of the sea carried uh, forward by, by the wind one moment and driven back the next. That sort of man cannot hope to receive anything from God. And the life of a man of divided loyalty will reveal instability at every turn. If you're joining us for the first time tonight, we are continuing a series in the book of James. And and don't worry if you've missed the last two weeks or if you miss any other weeks in this series. I really am aiming to make sure that while each, each teaching will build on the previous week's teaching, those teachings should also be able to stand alone. So if, if you can't get here every week, you're not going to miss, you're not going to miss something important and not be able to attend. And And so we're just glad you're here. But let me just summarize what we've gone over so far. In the previous weeks, we've determined that James, the author of this book, was Jesus's half-brother. And James, we've talked about, uh, did not believe in Jesus at first, but after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to James, and it was pretty convincing at that point that he was indeed uh, the Messiah. And, and so James, at that point, became very sold out, came, became a believer, a leader in, in the church at that time. And this letter that he's writing, that we're studying, it was written to the 12 tribes of Israel. They were scattered among the nations because of persecution. And, and, and they were really, really persecuted. You'll remember Nero who burned Christians at the stake. It was that kind of persecution taking place. And, and James, we know, is writing and he's concerned about their persecution and the fact that they're in trials and, 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 and horrible times because he addresses that issue right out the gate. He starts immediately after greeting them with considerate pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of many kinds. And, and he's telling them to consider it joy. And he's not saying that to play down their pain or to minimize what they're going through, but rather he's encouraging them them to start seeing their trials through God's eyes and from God's perspective. And you see, if we really, as we're going through trials, if we really understood that we are loved by God, that the enemy who brings these testings and these trials into our life is already defeated. Who knows that, that we battle a defeated foe? We have the victory. We fight from victory, not for victory. On the cross of Calvary, Satan was defeated. And so anything he brings at us really has already been won and, and, and paid for on the cross of Calvary. So we fight from a place of victory. We are safe in the presence of God. There is no safer place. And so what James is saying is when you are encountering trials of many kinds, let me just tell you, you are safe with God. Take joy in the fact that the enemy is defeated, that that situation you already have victory over. What would our life look like if that's really how we lived? And so he's saying, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of many kinds, because it's going to build your faith. It's going to strengthen your walk. It's going to mature you. 
And, and one of the things that I, I did not stress hard enough last week that I just want to revisit a bit this week is the fact that he says, consider it pure joy. Now, I don't want you to confuse happiness and joy because we tend to do that sometimes. You see, happiness is dependent on our happenings, on our circumstances. So if, if things are happening the way I want them to happen, I'm happy. If things aren't happening the way I want them to happen, I'm not happy. You see, happiness is dependent on my circumstances, and it's really based on my feelings, is it not? But joy, and that's the thing that James is encouraging them to have, he, joy is an inward contentment. It's a fruit of the Spirit. I think Warren Wearsby defines it best. He says, joy is that inward peace and sufficiency that is not affected by outward circumstances. And I like this. It's a holy optimism that keeps going in spite of life's difficulties. You see, if we understand who we are in Christ and what's been accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary and that we are joint heirs with him and that we fight from victory, not for victory, it will change our whole outlook on trials. Being able to have joy is resting and trusting God with our life, even when we can't see him at work in our situations. So he tells his readers to consider it pure joy when trials come to test our faith. It's a testing. He wants to prove us genuine. He wants to prove that our faith is genuine. And I want you to know that it's not God doing the testing. We're going to find out in a couple weeks as we continue to study in James that God doesn't tempt anybody. But God sure allows it. And we know that because we remember the passage where, where in Job, where Satan it, it comes to the presence of God and God says, where have you been, Satan? And he says, I've been roaming the earth and, and I've been going from to, to and fro scouting, basically. And he's saying, I'm looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses in your people because he wants to play that up. Can I just tell you, dear ones? He has been watching you. You have an enemy of your soul, an adversary, and he is fully aware of what your weaknesses are. And he's not going to waste his time on a test that doesn't, doesn't tempt you. He's going to make sure that he plays up your weaknesses and that he corners you in them and he gets to, and he's trying to bring you down. He's trying to, to, to get to prove that your faith is not genuine. And so he says, you know, have you, God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? Because he is upright and he is, he, he is, um, oh, let me just find the exact words that he uses. He says, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him. He is a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. When I read that, I thought to myself, don't you wish that God could say something like that about you? I do. I wish that he could say, have you considered my servant Rhea? She is blameless. I, I know that she fears me and that she will shun evil every chance she gets. Oh, church, I'm just wondering what our life would be like if we shunned evil. I'm from Pennsylvania originally, and, and we have a lot of Mennonite and Amish in, in my hometown, and, and they are really good about shunning. If you're in an Amish family and you get shunned, it is not a good thing. They, they will just, it's like you don't even exist. If you can be sitting in the same room and they will turn their back on you, they will shun you. You do not want to be shunned if you're in an Amish family. And I love that he uses that word shun. He shuns evil. Church, we need to start shunning evil. Because the enemy is bringing a test and he's out to prove that our faith is worthless. That you and I will betray God just like he did. And he doesn't waste those tests. And the fact that I know that, the fact that I'm aware, because you know, the Bible says that we can't be unaware of the enemy's schemes. The fact that I am aware that it's the enemy coming to test me and that he's testing my faith, that he wants to prove that I'm not genuine. He wants to prove that, that really it's not what I say it is. That just ticks me off enough to give me joy because I, I want everything in my life I want to do to give him a black eye. Can I tell you, he has brought so much garbage in my life. He's brought so much pain in my life. He's done so much in my life to try to destroy me. I've made up my mind that every last thing I do will be to, to, to give him a black eye, to make him regret the day that he ever messed with me. And so the mere fact that James says, I can consider this pure joy is because I understand I'm fighting a battle and I've already won. Do you know that you're fighting a battle and you've already won? 
Every trial we encounter, we get a chance to not take the bait from the enemy, to increase our faith, and to let the trial mature us and strengthen us in our faith. As we walk through life, we have to remember, uh, one of my favorite commentary, commentators, his name is Douglas Moo, and he says, the suffering of believers is all under the providential control of a God who wants only his best for his good purpose. You see, if you understand that any suffering that you're going through, and I don't just mean suffering like this horrible thing that's happened to you, I mean a temptation. Anything that comes at us, whether it be a trial or a temptation, is all under the providential control of a God who loves us and has our best interest at heart. You see, if we really understood that, we would not fight against our trials. We would consider them pure joy. Because, Lord, you are building something in me that can't be built any other way. James says that, that those trials come to make us mature and complete and not lacking anything. I love this, that the life application commentary defines mature as experience seasoned, but this is my favorite. Fit for the work God has sent us to do. Oh, anybody besides me want to be fit for the work that God has sent us to do. He says, you'll be mature and complete. That word complete means fully trained. My, my son just got a job with, the, um, with a police department in Minnesota, and, and he has four months of, of really heavy training right now. And, and they want to make sure before he gets sent out into, into the battlefield, basically, that he is fully trained, that he knows what he's doing. God's, God's whole point in a trial is so that we are fully trained. He wants us to be Mature, fit for the work he sent us to do and fully trained. I hate training. I don't know about you. Where's Karen McEthron? Karen and I, uh, Karen, she goes to this gym that is brutal. And, and, and they do this boot camp. And she swindled me into going. And uh, I nearly died. I'm just going to tell you. I could hardly stand it. I could hardly breathe. And, and then the next day, I, I couldn't even move. And it was, it was bad for like three or four days. And uh, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And the reason I was so stiff and sore is because I exercised muscles I wasn't used to exercising. I'm telling you, I work out. I understand the importance of training. But that kind of training was ridiculous. And, and it worked muscles that I had never worked before. And that's what God is trying to do. He's flexing your faith muscles. He's strengthening your faith muscles. Because if your life is peachy keen, honky dory, who needs faith for that? And he wants to strengthen our faith muscles. He wants us to be fully trained, not lacking anything. Dan McCartney says that that word not lacking anything means fully equipped for battle. Oh, battle ready. Can I just tell you that we are in a battle? It's a fight. In fact, Scripture calls it the fight of faith. And, and that word fight means to contend with adversaries. Who knows that we have an adversary? And we are in a battle with him. We can't be unaware of his schemes. So James is saying that, that the goal of the trials and tribulations that we go through is to make us mature and complete and not lacking anything. Some of your translations, instead of the word mature, and I want you to get this, if you tune me out the rest of the night, don't tune this one out. He wants to make you mature and complete. Some of your translations, instead of the word mature, will say perfect. The Amplified, if you read that, it will say perfect and without defect or complete. And that's so fascinating to me because you see in Bible times, in the Old Testament times, they would bring sacrifices to the priest to be sacrificed to atone for their sin. And those sacrifices, when they came to the priest, had to be what? Perfect and without defect without blemish. And so the fact that he's saying the trials that are coming in your life are going to perfect you and they're going to make you without defect, that is just, that's fascinating to me. Because you know, you and I are called to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. What would happen if that's how we lived our life? I want to be a mature Christian. Anybody here besides me want to be mature? James says that the testing of your faith, the trials that come in your life, you can consider in pure joy because those things are going to mature you. They're going to strengthen you. They're going to make you complete and not lacking anything. 
But you see, the, 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 the whole basis of being able to gain those things, to gain maturity, to gain uh, the, the being complete and not lacking anything, you have to respond to those trials rightly. Did you get that? You have to consider them pure joy, not fight against them. I, I don't know about you. James says, consider it pure joy. And then he says, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God and go to him and and basically what we're going to find out that he's saying is that when you go through a trial, a hard time, a difficult situation, a painful situation, you need to consider it pure joy so that you can, that trial can be used to prove your faith and prove you genuine and to strengthen you. But, but you're not going to want to do that because anybody besides me, when you go through a trial or a hard time, do you fight it tooth and nail? I just do. I don't know about you, but, but I don't always consider it pure joy. In fact, rarely do I consider it pure joy, and I rarely act for, act, ask for wisdom and how to deal with it. I think I know it all, and I'll deal with it my way, and it usually is not effective, anybody besides me. And so now when I read James and I say, these trials can make me mature and complete and not lacking anything, baby, I want that, but I have to respond rightly to those trials. You say, well, Rhea, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what my trial looks like. It's maybe not like yours. Your life isn't like mine. Mine's worse because isn't that how we always are? And, but I love that James took care of that because he says trials of many kinds. That word many, I told you last week, means variegated. It means um, uh, of many sorts, of assorted varieties, <laughs> That means he covered it all because our temptation is to say, Rhea, this is the one trial. I'm just telling you, this one doesn't fall under James' description there. This is way too big for that. I can't possibly consider it joy. I'm pretty sure I'm exempt from the scripture. No, he covered it when he said, of many kinds. Your trial, no matter how bad it is, is one of those assorted varieties. And so church, it's time that we start considering them pure joy. When we can begin to look at and embrace our trials as something to be used for our advantage, knowing there's something that God wants to use to mature and fully train us, our view of them looks a whole lot different. I want you to know that that word mature does not mean sinless perfection. Don't get me wrong. That that won't happen until we get to heaven. But, but a mature, that word mature, one commentator describes it as a person who is fully committed to obeying God's commands. Oh, some of you, that just makes you cringe because you're like, here she goes on that obedience thing again. It's a right relationship with God expressed in a life of obedience. And we don't like to hear that word obedient. But, that, but James is saying that is what a mature person does. A mature person obeys God. A mature person is fully committed to obeying God's commands. If you turn over to Hebrews 6, it says, Therefore, let us go on and get past the elementary stage of the teachings and the doctrine of Christ. And then he goes on to talk about what that looks like, the laying on of hands, repentance, uh, uh, works, all of that stuff. And then he says, These are matters of which you should be fully aware of a long, long time ago. What he's saying is, let's leave the elementary things and let's progress forward and mature. And so many of us are stuck back here in the elementary things. It'll never fail. If I teach on obedience, somebody will come to me and say, your teaching works, Rhea. Elementary. But Rhea, it's all about grace. Yes, elementary. That's the elementary teachings. Grace is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But you have been given grace for obedience to mature you. But you see, if you're stuck back here in the elementary teachings and you haven't matured and you haven't studied to show yourself approved, you're going to say those kind of things. Versus pressing on to maturity and understanding that the same grace that saved you is the grace that keeps you, the grace that enables you to obey the word of God. So now, after we cover all that, let's move on to the scripture for this week. So James says, consider it pure joy, my brethren. 
So often we can misquote um, this scripture when, when he says, consider it pure joy, my brother, and when you encounter trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But then he says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now you say, Rhea, we use that scripture. I, I use it all the time. If I'm praying for somebody and they're, they're, they're needing advice, they're needing direction, I will say, thank you, Lord, that you say if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask of you and you'll give it generously to all without finding fault. Would you just give them generous wisdom? Would you just lavish them with wisdom, Lord God, and direct them? And, and while that is not taking it necessarily out of context and that's still using it just fine, that is really not the context that that scripture is written in. Keep it in context. Let's look at it. In context, it's in relationship to the trials that James has just told us we're going to go through. Uh, Don, can you put those scriptures back up on, the, up on the screen for me? If you look at the fact that he says, consider it pure joy, you're going to encounter trials of many kinds. And then he says, the testing of your faith is going to come so that you can be mature and complete and not lacking anything. If any man lacks wisdom, he should ask. There's the hinge. If any man lacks wisdom... You're not lacking anything if any man lacks wisdom. Are you seeing the hinge there? So it's all connected. It's all in context there. We see it in the paraphrase that I read to you when he says, but let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed. And you find you have become men of mature character with the right sort of independence. And if in that process, any of you does not know how to meet a particular problem, he only has to ask God and he'll give him wisdom. So stay with me here. So if you're looking down through James chapter one, verses two through probably six or seven, you will see that all of that is connected. Even though we use that scripture to say, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he'll give it to him. But what James is really talking about here is if you're in a trial, in a tribulation, and you lack wisdom, you don't know how to deal with it, I gotta come down. You don't know how to deal with it, you don't know how to, to, to respond rightly in it, because I don't know about you, but when I go through trouble, I don't always respond right. I, I'll, I'll let me flesh this out for you. About two years ago, I went through an extremely painful, ex extremely, you've heard me talk about it, painful trial. Like take your feet out from under you trial. Anybody understand that? It was a big one. I promise you it was. I, I would have told you, not arrogantly, but I would have told you that my faith was pretty strong. I would have told you that I know how to stand on scripture and not move. I would have told you that very little could rattle me because I understood who I was in Christ. But this one just about took my feet out from under me. If I told you what it was, your mouth would fall open. You would understand that the thing rattled me. It really rattled me. Leslie and Dave will tell you, it brought stuff out of me that I can't even tell you. I had no idea it was in there. I really thought I was, you know, I know I'm a sinner, I saved by grace, but I'm just telling you, I still had some junk inside of me, but I thought it was a little bit cleaner than it was. And this trial just brought stuff out of me that I was like, who in the world are you and what did you do with Rhea? I, I was responding in ways that I couldn't even, I, I surprised even myself and, and I was getting depressed and down and I was a little ticked at God. Was I a little ticked at God, Leslie? I was a little ticked at God. And, and it brought stuff out of me that I was like, what in the world is that? I can't even believe I was behaving like that. Now I know that you guys are super spiritual and that you never ever behave ugly, but I'm telling you, I, I behaved ugly. Uh, Dave, did I behave ugly? I behaved ugly. And I really, quite frankly, wanted to go to bed and stay there. I did not like this trial. It was hot. Anybody understand hot trial? Fiery trial. I was in it, and I wanted out of it. I was asking God for wisdom, how to get out of it kind of wisdom. Can you fix this kind of wisdom, God? But never let me stay in it and let you build something in me. Had no interest in that whatsoever. I did not want to stay in that trouble. I did not want to stay in that pain. Anybody with me? And yet James is saying, Rhea, consider it pure joy. Are you crazy? Are you crazy, James? Do you know that my feet just got taken out from under me? Do you know that this is the, the most pain I've ever been through in my whole entire life? And you want me to consider this pure joy? Yep. Mm -hmm. And I want you to pray and ask for wisdom. 
Ask me, Rhea. Ask me how to deal with this. Ask me how to conduct yourself rightly in the, in the midst of it. I, I wasn't really thinking that way. Can I just tell you? All I was thinking was, I want out of this trial. I want to stop hurting like this. I, wanna, I just want to stop. But you see, fiery trials will show you things. That you, when, when a goldsmith wants to purify gold, he turns the fire up as hot as he possibly can, and it brings the dross to the surface. The gold looked perfectly fine until the heat came up. Rhea looked perfectly fine until the heat got turned up. And then the garbage started coming to the surface. God wasn't surprised. God knew what was in me. You see, the testing of your faith proves you genuine or not. But God knows. It isn't for God's benefit. It's to show Rhea what's really inside of her. And those two years, while the world would have said I was justified to behave the way I was behaving, I hated it. I hated that that stuff was in me. And I just wanted it out. I wanted God to deal with it and get it out of my life. And yet the fire was so hot, I wanted out of that. And yet the goldsmith, when he, when he turns up the fire, the dross, the garbage, the impurities will come to the top and he skims it off. And then he turns it up a little bit hotter and he skims it off and he doesn't stop until he can see his reflection in it. I don't know about you, but there's nothing I want more in my whole entire life than for Christ to see his reflection in me. I want to look like him. Do you know that the word Christian means little Christ? Anybody besides me want people to look at you and say, that's a little Christ right there. She looks just like her daddy. Many of you know this story about me. My mother, my mother was a beautiful, beautiful lady, and she had one adulterous affair after another. And I knew about that as I was growing up. It was not a fun thing to know, but I knew about that. And, and, and we lived in a small town. And, um, but what I didn't know, and you've heard this story, is that I was conceived in one of her affairs and that the father who raised me as my father was not my biological father. And so when I was 25 years old, I met my biological father for the first time. I had known him all my life. He was a very wealthy man in our community and everybody knew him, but I had, didn't know him as my father. And so I met him at a restaurant and, and we spent a couple hours together and he died six days later at that same restaurant that I met him at. And so, I couldn't even get to know my father. So I got to know my sisters. And when my, when my sister, she, he had three other daughters by his, in his marriage. And, but my, one, my sisters, I'd never met before. And so when I went to meet them, I thought if I can't get to know him, I might as well get to know my sisters. And when I met, went to meet them, they, they looked at me and they said, you don't even have to take a blood test. You look so much like your father. You look so much like our father. You look more like him than we do. And as I began to visit with them over the years, they say, you act like him. You have his mannerisms and you've never lived a day with him. How can you be so much like your father? And as they were saying that, all I could think about was my heavenly father. And wouldn't you want people to say that about you? Yeah, you, you look just like your daddy. That was the biggest compliment they ever could have given me is that I look like the daddy I had never known. But wouldn't you just like people to say, you look like your daddy God. You look just like him. You have his mannerisms. You see, that's what we want these trials to bring. Except my trial, let's flesh it out, my trial was not making me look like my daddy God. It was making me look ugly. How I wish I had been studying James at that time. You say, well, Rhea, that person hurt you deeply. Yep, they did. And they probably deserved everything I gave them. But I'm just telling you, I didn't like it. And I wasn't pleasing God. And God allowed that trial to show me what was inside of me. And so I sat before him and I said, Lord, I hate this and I need, you to, I need you to show me how to get out of this. I need you to show me how to exist in this trial because it's clear you're not going to remove it. It's been a year and a half, Lord. It's clear it's not going anywhere. You're going to keep it intense. And so now I just need wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, he should ask and it'll be given to him generously without finding fault. Oh, I love that. Do you see that? If any man lacks, that's a need. You see, when we have a need, it should drive us to God. That need should always drive us to God. 
I didn't, my, that need drove me away because I was ticked at the world. But when I finally started realizing what was happening, it drove me to God. If any man lacks, let him ask of God. And that word, let him ask of God, do we still have it up there? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Uh, uh, that, that word, that one of your translations will say, ask of God. That's in the original language, of. And it's para. And it means to come alongside, to be in close, intimate contact. Oh, that's so good, is it not? If any man lacks wisdom, if you're going through a fiery trial, and some of you are, instead of fighting against it, instead of crawling in bed and staying there, could you instead just get alongside of God, get in close, intimate contact with him? Because I'm telling you, he is your source of life. Can you just get in his presence and ask of him? And that word ask there is an interesting word. It doesn't just mean ask. Let me ask you a question. It means to put a demand on. Be insistent. And you see, I'm getting this now. A year and a half, two years into this trial, I finally got, I can be insistent. And I was saying, Lord, I'm not leaving this place. I'm not leaving your presence. I'm coming alongside of you. And I am not leaving your presence until I have a breakthrough, until that ugly and Rhea is gone, and until I start conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ because there is nothing I want more than to be perfect and complete and mature and lacking nothing. I want to look like my daddy, and I'm not right now, Lord. And so I need wisdom. You see, wisdom is not knowing about God because let me tell you, I know about God. I can quote you some scripture. I got it memorized. I got it stored up inside of me. I have all kinds of knowledge. Are you with me? Knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom is the application of that knowledge. How can I apply the knowledge I know? There are all kinds of people with theological degrees. There are all kinds of pulpits filled with pastors that have a lot of knowledge but no wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. And so I had to sit before God. I had to come alongside of him in close, intimate contact and say, God, you know what? I hate this fiery trial. I'm just going to be honest with you. I really need wisdom for you to fix it. But, but if I'm not going to get that, could you show me, Lord, how into, in the midst of this thing, can I consider it joy? Can I tally up all of the facts and end up considering it pure joy? knowing that no matter what is happening around me, no matter how painful it is, and Lord, it is painful, no matter how wrong it is, Lord, that you are more than enough. You are more than enough. That I don't have to behave the way the world would behave. You see, that's why the world doesn't want our Jesus. Because we don't look any different than the unbeliever down the street. We don't deal with problems any differently than they do. We react and respond just like they do. And God is saying, if you just come to me in the midst of that trying time, in the midst of that painful time, I will show you how to walk it out with wisdom so that you can consider it pure joy. So if any man lacks it, just come to him and ask. And look what it says. And he will give generously. And really, in the original language, it means the giving God will give generously. Do you know that he's a giving God? It's part of his character. He lavishes. He loves to give. In fact, next week, we're going to talk about a double-minded man. And we're going to come back and revisit that because what it really means, that word is also singular. It means single, the word generous. And it means that God has a single mind to bless the socks off of you. It is his ultimate desire to give to you. Do you understand that? He is not double-minded. Oh, is he good enough today? Nope, he's not. I'm not going to give to you today because you're not good enough today. He's not like that. He says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously, lavishly. It means open hands. His hands are open all the time. He just wants to lavish it on you. Just ask him. That's, that's the prerequisite. Can you just ask? Can you come alongside of him and ask? And notice he says to all, because some of you are already saying, yeah, right, Rhea, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I do on a daily basis. I don't care. You're included in the all. And notice after that, without finding fault. That was important to me because I knew how I had behaved in this trial. 
And for me to go to God and say, can you give me wisdom? I, I, if I were God, I would have said, Rhea, <laughs> you just blew it way too much. You were gonna have to try this another time because you blew this one. And you're just gonna have to go around this mountain again because you're just never gonna get this. And remember when you said this? Remember when you did this ugly thing? Mm. No, not so much. I'm not gonna give you wisdom. Change my mind. No. He says, without finding fault without shaming us, without saying, you should know better, you should be more mature than that, you really should not be asking me, you should know this by now. That's not who he is. He'll give generously to all without finding fault. Jesus loved that. We have such a generous God, a giving God. You see, if we really understood that, if we really understood how much we are loved, how deeply we are loved, how good he is to us. But so often, we think we have the answers. I, I share the story about little Kendall. Uh, when she was a little girl, she would always say, I do myself. And she was fiercely independent. And that's what we do to God. I do myself. I got this one under control. I'll deal with this problem all on my own. And we blow it. We think we know the best way. I'm telling you, when that trial came in my life, I thought I knew the best way to deal with it. Boom, 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 boom. You be strong, you be tough, <laughs> you don't take any of that garbage. That's me, that's my personality. Mess with me, I'll mess with you. I mean, I'm tough, I'm just, Dave, I'm tough. I got a mouth and the Lord uses it, but I'm telling you, the devil likes to use it too. And, and, and so that's Rhea. And, and so I think I know how to deal with my problems and I blow it every single time. I don't think I need wisdom because I got this one, God, let me just, tell them a thing or two and everybody can be lying in my wake I know you're for I know you're so much more spiritual than me that you can't identify with this but let me just share my story but but we think we know what to do that we have the best solution Leslie and I were in Orlando for 48 hours this past week Leslie is, I call her Miss Disney. She is a travel agent and she knows Disney like the back of her hand. And, and she knows Orlando like the back of her hand. And she can find her way around with the blindfold on. And, and so we're in the car and we don't have the GPS on. And, and I'm just cruising the internet. I'm surfing the internet. I'm minding my own business. And she's taking us wherever we were going. And, and I'm starting to realize this has taken a long time to get what should have been just a, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump across town. And, and, and I said, Les, what's, what, are we lost? <laughs> and she started to giggle, and she said, could you just put such and such an address in the GPS? And I'm like, why did we not do that from the start? But it's because she thought she knew the direction. She thought she didn't need any help, and, and we got lost. But the second we put that baby in GPS, we knew where we were going. And that's what we do. We trust our internal GPS. I got this one. I, I, I know the right solution. This is how the world would deal with it. It must work. And we trust that direction instead of trusting our heavenly GPS. And let, and, instead of trusting the one who's never wrong. That GPS is never wrong. Can I just tell you? You can trust that thing. It gets you where you're going. And you can trust God. He gets you where you're going every single time. But you see, we think we know the best route. We think we know the rest direction. Lord, I got this one. I'll handle it just properly. And we blow it out of the water. And he says, if you just come to me, if you come alongside of me, I will give you wisdom to deal with this thing. And it'll be generous. I will lavish it on you. And, and you will come through this thing like gold, strengthened, matured and encouraged in the Lord. Do you believe that he's able to do that? So if you lack, and you will, trust me, it's not if, it's a when you lack. If you just go to God, he will give generously without finding fault. Davey, I'm just wondering if you could come up here and just hold this one more time for me. Danny, I hate to erase your artwork. You did such a great job, buddy. Um, I just want to, to show you one last thing. Those of you that were on the retreat saw me do this, but I just want to bring it back. Yes, I just want to bring it back just one more time just to so much of our struggle in trials is that we are led by our feelings, are we not? Now, wisdom is being led by the Spirit of God within us. 
The Bible says that when we are led by the Spirit, that that way is life. Are you with me? When we do it God's way, it's always life-giving. Some of you are here tonight and you're pretty miserable. It's because you've been living in your flesh. And the Bible says that when we live according to the flesh, it's death. So you're having a temper tantrum, you're nasty, you're unkind, you're gossiping, you're full of unforgiveness, you're full of, uh, of fear and anxiety, you're, you're unkind, and you wonder why you have no life. Because if you follow the flesh, the ways of the flesh will bring death. But the way of the Spirit, God's way, God's direction, when we lack wisdom, we need to ask, he'll give us direction that's the way to life. In the midst of my trial, I was choosing Rhea's direction. I was choosing the flesh, the fleshly response. And it was ugly and it brought death. And it was only when I began to surrender to the Spirit and, the, and God's way did I find life in the midst of that trial. And so I want to just show you, you've seen me do this many times, but I just want to remind you. Paul says, I know you already know this, but let me just remind you. And so I just want to remind you tonight, and, and I've told you this many times, this is going to be a picture of our life. We are a three-part being. God is a triune God. He's three in one, and, and he, we're created in his likeness and in his image. And so I believe, you can argue with me, some people would, that, that we are a, a three-part, a tripart being. We have a body. That's what you see right here. And, and, and we have a soul, a mind, a will, emotions, and we have a spirit. When we get born again, that's what's born again. We get a new spirit. And so you've heard me say this, the, 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 we get a new spirit, that's the new man. But we don't get a new mind, we don't get new emotions. And so that's why you can come to Jesus and you still act like a dork. You still do things you wish you wouldn't do. You still behave in ways you, you wouldn't behave. You still sin, even though God says it's impossible to sin. You say, well, how can that be? Because in your spirit, it's impossible to sin. But in your flesh, your mind, your will, your emotions, you can still do it. You have to learn to be led by the spirit. Are you with me? So let's, let's say this, what this is. This is the spirit right here, your inner man. And this is your soul. It's your mind, your will, your emotion. It's your thinker, your feeler, and your doer. And when we function from this place right here, it's always death. When we function here, it's always life. This is our body, and that body really surrenders to whatever's on the throne. So if my, if my flesh, my mind, my will, my emotions is on the throne and ruling my life, my body is going to punch somebody because I'm being ruled by my feelings. Are you with me? My mouth is going to say something nasty because I'm ruled by my feelings, my emotions. But if I am being ruled by that spirit and I'm surrendering to that, I can be feeling all of these things out here, but my body is not going to do what, what, what the, the, the feelings want to do because I am putting the spirit on the throne. I'm saying it's God's way. I'm lacking wisdom, Lord. I need it. I want to walk this out rightly. And so I'm not going to respond by my mind, my will, my emotions. I'm going to respond by my spirit the way you want me to respond. And it's a choice. It is a choice. We don't want to believe that. But we have a choice how we behave. And that's what comes out of our life. What's, what's in a man's heart will eventually come out. So what's in your mind, your will, your emotions will be expressed and showed out. And so our job as Christians is to say, I've got a new man in me. I don't have to behave the way the world behaves. I have a choice. And we've got to learn to yield to that choice. And that comes by going to God saying, Lord, I don't know how to handle this. I'll tell you how I want to handle this. But I don't know how to handle it rightly. And I need wisdom, Lord. Will you give it to me? Can I just tell you that I love Portillo's? Anybody besides me love Portillo's? I love Portillo's. Love, 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 love it. Tasty. Makes my mouth water. And, and I, I, like, I could eat it every single day. But if I did, 
do you know what my body would look like? And you say, well, Rhea, why are you worried about your body? Because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I take this seriously. I, I, like, I don't like being overweight and, and dragging that garbage around with me. And so I have to make a choice to not eat portillos. Now, I love portillos. I want to eat it every day. And, and, and when I'm eating it, it is tasty good. Like that chocolate cake, has anybody had their chocolate cake? <gasps> melts in your mouth chocolate cake and, and I love it and when I'm eating it it's like pleasure for about five minutes and then I'm like oh why did I do that I could have had a salad and I had a choice and so I can make a choice when we go out to eat I can say Davy, could you just order the chocolate cake and I'll have one little nibble I'll have a bite of the chocolate cake. I have to limit myself because I know it's not worth it right here. You say, well, Rhea, that's a ridiculous uh, uh, illustration. No, it's not because it works the exact same way. I like, I have a mouth. I like to use it sometimes. I don't like when people are mean. And I can put them in their place pretty quickly. And I really like to indulge in that occasionally. And then I'm like, oh, that's so not worth it. It wasn't worth that. But see, I indulged. And it felt good, just like the chocolate cake did, for a few minutes. And then I was full of regret. You see, I had a choice. Just like I can choose a salad. I don't like it, but it's a whole lot better for me. I have a choice whether I choose anger in my trials, my temptation if I choose to look at a computer screen that I know I shouldn't look at, if I choose to have a meltdown, if I choose to be jealous, if I choose to be unkind, if I choose to somebody give me one, if I choose to what, have sex outside of marriage, if I choose to have an affair, if I choose to have what, somebody give me one. Because I'm telling you, what is the choice that the enemy is dangling in front of you saying, let me test you a little bit and see if you'll take the bait because I want to prove that your faith in God is not genuine. And so come on, indulge. Fear. I have a choice. I don't have to choose fear. I can say that, 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 that uh, I don't have a, I haven't been given a spirit of fear, but I have a sound mind and I have a spirit of power. I have a choice. I don't feel like not eating portillos. I'm telling you, when I drive by and I can smell the grease in the air, I want to turn my car around. I love it. Davey, I love it, don't I? I love it. It's not that I don't feel like I want to indulge in this sinful activity. Sin is tasty. Whoever tells you sin is not tasty, they're lying to you. Sin is tasty for a season, but in the end, it leads to death. Nobody would do it if it wasn't tasty. Trust me, I indulged, but in the end, it leads to death. It's not worth it. It's like my Portillo's cake. It's not worth it. In the moment, it feels like it is, but it's not worth it. We have a choice. So flesh it out. This week, maybe some of your trials, well, let me just throw out some trials and then we'll finish. Maybe your trial is that your marriage is really in bad shape. In fact, you're not even sure you like that spouse, let alone love them. You have a choice. You can be mean. You can tear them down because the Bible says a, a, a wise woman builds up her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her very own hands. I would like to say with her very own mouth. And so you say, well, Rhea, my trial is that I really am not happy in that marriage. Tough. You made a vow, a vow before God. Choose. Choose to build up and encourage, even if you're not getting built up. Lord, I need wisdom in how to love this man or love this woman. Would you just give me wisdom? I want to respond rightly. I want to do this rightly. Maybe you're having trouble forgiving somebody. They did you dirty and you're justified in being angry and unforgiving towards them. Lord, I need wisdom. 
I need wisdom in how to let this thing go because it is, it is in my every thought. And I need your wisdom, Lord, in how to walk rightly in this and be kind when I want to be mean. And can you just show me that, Lord? Maybe your trial is a temptation and you feel like you can't say no to something. And, and you want it and you crave it and, and you really think who's going to know anyway? God's going to know. And instead of indulging and feeling guilty and full of shame, you can go to God and say, Lord, I want to respond to this rightly. Please, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me wisdom in how to walk this out? One of my very favorite scriptures is, whatever happens, you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that be our motto. Whatever happens, no matter how hard the trial is, no matter how painful the situation is, no matter how tempting the temptation is, whatever happens, we will make the choice to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I'm here to tell you, that's all that matters. That is all that matters is what we do for the Lord. I'm telling you, I read the scripture today that said in a vape, our life is but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Do you know that this is not the world that we live for? We live for the next one. We live for the eternal. This is just a vapor. It's a blink of the eye. We are passing through this world to get to the next. That's eternity. What we do here matters. How we live here matters. I want to please him in all that I do. That's not works mentality. That's just I want to please him. I want to live a life pleasing. I want to be mature and complete and not lacking anything. It's good stuff. Next week, we're going to talk about being double-minded. And when we ask God what it means to ask in faith, believing and not being tossed and turned by doubt and unbelief. It's going to be, a, it's probably going to be my favorite week. I really love, I love that section. And so uh, we're going to talk about that and, and how when you ask for wisdom to really believe you're going to get it because he is a giving God. He's a good God. And so Father, I pray for every man and woman in this room tonight. I thank you, Father, that you are indeed a giving God and that you have not asked us to do something that you haven't equipped us to do. Lord, that you've given us the grace to walk out what you've called us to do. And you've equipped us and empowered us to do what, what your word instructs us to do. And so, Father, I pray for a building up of, of each man and woman in this room, that you would strengthen them. Some of them are going back into situations and troubles, maybe at work, maybe at home, maybe in relationships, Lord God, that are trying, that are painful. Lord, I'm asking that you would build up and sustain your people. Father, that when they cry for wisdom, that you would hear from heaven and that you would empower them and equip them to walk out what you've requested. Oh, Lord God, I want more than anything. I want more than anything to be proven genuine, to be mature and complete and not lacking anything. So, Lord, would you do that? Would you work that in us, Lord? Would you draw us closer to you? Come alongside, Lord, as we come alongside you, Lord. Would you grant us the wisdom that we need in order to walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We love you, Lord. And we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.